Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 737th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Just a heads up, this is a replay of our 707th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Why? About a year ago, I stumbled across the urban worm bin, and I think that it is the most incredible way to compost that I have ever found. So I approached Urban Worm Company and Steve Churchill to be our first official sponsor of the podcast, and I thought it was important for you to hear his story. Enjoy. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is simplifying vermicomposting and making it easy for anyone to start. We're talking with Steve Churchill about worm composting. Steve is the owner of Urban Worm Company, a vermicomposting-related blog, online store, and manufacturer of the Urban Worm Bag. Through the Urban Worm blog, social media, and email interactions with his readers, Steve is a joyful promoter of vermicomposting as a means to turn household and commercial waste into highly valuable soil amendments. Steve is a retired military veteran, thank you for that, and a pilot for Southwest Airlines. Welcome to the show today, Steve. Are you ready to rock worms? Reporting for duty, Greg. Awesome. (laughs) So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. It's it's probably not the usual path. Like you mentioned, I was in the Air Force for uh, 23 years, just retired this last May. I've been an airline pilot for Southwest Airlines for just about the past 15 years. So left active duty, went to the reserves, sort of stayed in the in the military that way, and then joined Southwest. About 2011, we moved out to the suburbs. We lived in South Philadelphia and then moved out to a Philadelphia suburb called Plymouth Meeting. We had some space and my wife said, I want to do composting. And I said, okay, great. And so I collected a lot of leaves piled them up and then absolutely nothing happened. And right. uh, I said, well, that's how I thought things were supposed to happen. So then I realized, okay, I don't have enough nitrogen. Now we have these convenience store, this convenience store chain here in the, in the Northeast called Wawa. I don't know if you're familiar, but you know, you, you have some version of that in Asheville and out yep. in Phoenix and everywhere across the country. And they have like 12 different kinds of coffee. So they have all sorts of coffee grounds. And I loaded up my Volkswagen Jetta with probably 150 to 200 pounds of coffee grounds, took them home, mixed them in with the leaves, watered it down, and was amazed to come back and find 150 degree temperatures just a few days later. So I was kind of hooked and and intrigued by the idea of, of composting. And so I was using my wife's meat thermometer to take temperatures in the pile, which she was none too happy with, but uh, we'll <laughs> right. leave that aside. The thing that the thing that got me into the worm composting was that after the pile cooled, towards the end of the summer, I went back and checked the pile and I saw all of these worms in the pile and they were just taking it and fragmenting it down to this stuff that looked again like coffee grounds, even though it wasn't coffee grounds. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated and I go inside and I tell my wife and and I kind of show her a handful of this stuff and she goes, oh, those are worm castings. And, you know, I, I heard about it on Oprah or something like that. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. I, I'd never even heard of these things. So as an aside, the worms I was actually looking at, the observing were really an invasive species of worms that are really a problem here in the in the northeast and the upper midwest that that's mm-hmm. probably a, a different podcast but i became interested with the idea of of worms and what they could do to this waste because i just found that found what i saw to be so interesting 
So I do what everybody else does, and I Google I Google the topic. And with the exception of a few different websites out there, I really was not impressed with what I saw. And I didn't feel like the websites that were out there teaching this stuff were speaking to me, and they weren't speaking to somebody who likes to sort of read things in the way that I like to, to read things. And so mm-hmm. I've always, I've had this entrepreneurial itch for a while. And I said, you know what, let me just, I'm, I'm looking for something to do. Uh, let me see if I can just start a blog and see if I can teach people how to vermicompost in a way that, in a way that I would want to be taught and in a voice that I would want to be taught. And I want to write it in a way that I want to write it. And if it doesn't work, no big deal. And to be honest with you, Greg, this was not even anything I thought was, this was going to be the thing I did until the real idea came along. And <laughs> right. That other idea never came along. And I just sort of kept on going with, with learning and with writing about it and started an email list and was able to really, I think, develop a relationship with my readers and in a, in a way that I felt was more intimate with with my readers and talk to them in a way where I was just free to do it. You know, it's my blog, it's my email list. Let's let's uh let's let's talk real here. I just kind of kept doing that and and as you well know, if if all you have is a a blog and something that's is in a smaller niche as this, you just you're not going to make a big business out of that by itself. And so I was looking at ways, okay, how could I make this a business? I really kind of enjoy this. I was starting to kind of catch fire for the actual topic through various ways of exploring like what my life looked like and what I was good at. I sort of realized very quickly that I was not set up to make a lot of worm castings. I wasn't set up to grow worms and ship them. It just didn't fit in my life. But I did see some opportunities out there, and one of them was with the idea of a worm bin that was based on something that was out there already. It just was not, did not have kind of what I'd call, I guess, mass distribution. It didn't have a whole lot of, didn't have a whole lot of awareness in the market, mm-hmm. and it was the idea of a worm bag. Now, just to start, we can talk real fast about continuous flow vermicomposting, and then, and then sort of the origin of the of the urban worm bag. Continuous flow then is basically a flow through bag or a flow through process as opposed to a standard bin that doesn't have a flow through. Can you kind of compare and contrast those? So yeah, most commercial bins are actually some form of a flow through. They, they assume some amount of migration of worms from one part of the bin to another. So you could do vermicomposting. I'll just to break it down to the most simple terms. You could do vermicomposting in a Rubbermaid bin. You could do it in a five-gallon bucket. You could do it in a pile on your floor. The problem is, is what do you do once you want to harvest the worm castings out and put it in your soil? You have to go in there and either manually uh, remove the worm castings or you have to screen it. What you have to ultimately do is disrupt that ecosystem of worms and microbes that are doing the decomposition for you. And then you have to restart the process all over again. What continuous flow allows uh, allows is for the worms to migrate from one area to another, which leaves their castings behind that you can then collect. So most people are familiar with things like the worm factory or the stackable worm bin systems, where those those assume an upward migration from one tray to the tray above, to the tray above, and then ultimately you harvest the bottom tray and, mm-hmm. and then kind of keep doing that. Now, I feel like those bins work a little bit better in theory than they do in practice. But with continuous flow, uh, with a continuous flow bag like mine, you just simply feed it from the top and you're able to open the bottom. So there are no trays. So you sim- you just feed your organic food waste and then carbon-rich bedding uh, 
in the top and then you can open up the bottom and start pulling the castings out because worms tend to stay in the top six to eight inches of their habitat uh, and they like to stay where it's where it's more moist which should be where most of your kind of wetter food waste is at the top of your bin so the idea is you just keep stacking you know keep layering food on top the worms keep moving higher and then you can collect the the worm castings from the bottom without disrupting that ecosystem so that's those are the benefits of, of continuous flow it's it's a lower labor way of doing worm castings without the tedious sorting of the worms away from the castings and unprocessed material. Yeah. So I saw your worm bin and I've been worm composting for 20 years and I actually built a flow through bin out of wood. I went to a uh, appliance store and I got some racks from an oven and I put them on the Mm -hmm. bottom. I did that. And that's how I did my, uh, you know, my worm composting in Phoenix for, oh my gosh, probably eight years. And so I knew the value of the flow through bin. And I'm at a farmer's market here in Asheville right after we got here. And I looked at that bin and it, it, it caught my eye. And I, (laughs) I must've talked with the person. I think you said you knew her. Uh, That was probably Marianne Smith. Was that in Waynesville? Uh, Or was that? Asheville. Was it in Asheville? Okay. It could have been Kristen Begay of Earth and Organics. That might have been might have been Sally Smith as well of right. uh, Green Hill. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, Kristen <laughs> is who I actually bought one from, but I I was looking at it and it's like this is at, I I stood there in that moment and it's like I got to get this guy on my po- guy or gal on my podcast because this is brilliant. <laughs> Your worm bin makes worm composting so easy. Tell us how it works. <laughs> well, it is a, it's, it's a, if you think of that material that, that backpacks are made out of kind of like that nylon cordura type material, uh, it is simply uh, a bag that opens at the top. It's conical shaped, so it's going to be wider at the top. It's going to sort of funnel down into a narrower bottom. It's suspended from an iron frame because you need to have access to the, to the bottom. So the bag sits a few inches off the ground mm-hmm. and uh, you would you would start the, the the bin with a layer of a layer of bedding material, and then you'd start layering on food food waste and bedding. And by bedding, I mean paper waste, cardboard waste, uh, stuff that stuff that you can shred. Uh, leaf mold is another good one. Coconut core, peat moss, uh, and then uh, over time, uh, the 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 volume in the bag is going to build up, and you are going to be able to open up the bottom and collect worm castings out of the bottom, which should be uh, relatively worm-free. There should not be much manipulation of the castings that you have to do before you can just use them in your garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's that's the general. You know, it's sort of that top-down, top-to-bottom continuous uh, uh, continuous flow. There's that word again. Right. Uh, so it's very it's very simple. Uh, say it's very simple in theory. I think there there are things that you can do to mess it up if you get the moisture incorrect. We can go into kind of maybe best practices on that, but. That's the high level look of, of of what the urban worm bag is, and I and I've really enjoyed. I've really been very grateful to how well that it has been been received, and 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 uh, and I, I feel like we've got some really enthusiastic users out there. So if you're watching yeah. or listening, hello, thank you yeah. very much. Me, <laughs> all right, me. So one of the things that I actually did with with your urban worm bag is I put a five gallon bucket underneath it. Mm-hmm. Because it was my experience that my worm bids drip a little bit. Correct. Tell me about that and how that works. 
So that uh, the 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 stuff that drips out of the bottom, and and what I will tell you uh, to to offer you counsel here as we move forward with vermicomposting is that over time you do not want that as a as a regular as a uh, as as a regular occurrence. So you do not want that leachate, which is really what it is. Some people actually call it worm tea, and correctly that leachate is going to drip out of the bottom. Yeah, this it sort of makes continuous flow more difficult because worms follow moisture. You know, the book says that they should stay in the top six to eight inches. The worms are going to go wherever it's wettest because the worms want organic matter and they want moisture. And so when you have a bin that's wet enough to be dripping from the bottom, then you are going to have worms down there regardless because they're happy because they still have organic matter. Even their own, even their own castings, which they will eat multiple times, they will eat their own poop uh, happily because that's, that is that's that's organic matter and, and there are bacteria on there and they're perfectly happy doing that and which actually can make it a, a, a better a better product but in the context of continuous flow it makes the separation much more difficult because if you get that wet vermicompost out of the bottom it will have worms in it i can i can guarantee it so over time you want to make sure that you are adding twice the amount of bedding as food waste so whatever wow. volume that you are whatever volume you're putting in so if you got a handful of food waste do two two handfuls of uh bedding material because fruit and vegetable waste we really underestimate how much water that they hold they are 85 percent minimum almost for almost any sort of vegetable or fruit uh and most fruits are going to be above 90 percent as that stuff breaks down it just releases a lot more water than you think. So you need yeah. that dry bedding material to help sop up that excess moisture. Got it. So the fix is, I always wondered about this. The fix is add more dry bedding material. Correct. And when I was, when I was talking, I interviewed uh, Zach Brooks from Arizona Worm Farm a couple of weeks ago for a local uh, radio show that I do in Phoenix. And he said cardboard. And I said, <laughs> cardboard? Oh, yeah. Amazon boxes. He says, use your Amazon boxes. Use and just soak them in water and put them on top. Uh, So you're saying, oh yeah, tell me about that. Yeah. So cardboard, especially corrugated, corrugated cardboard, not the cardboard that you would have on cereal boxes, which actually isn't cardboard. It's something called paperboard or chipboard. Yeah. That corrugated cardboard uh, is very absorbent and it, and the worms really love the, they love the corrugations and they like the glue that that the corrugated oh. uh, cardboard is made with it there's some there's the protein in there that that they just seem to take to much more than they take to simple paper so shredded cardboard and i would say that you don't even need to wet it maybe in a place like phoenix you do mm-hmm. but in a in a in a contained and probably in zach's case he really does because he's doing it open air in phoenix but in, yeah. in an enclosed system like the urban worm bag the food waste uh, the water from the food waste that gets released is going to be absorbed by that cardboard. So you don't want the cardboard any more saturated than it comes naturally because it's it's going to release into the into the cardboard waste. But cardboard waste is probably the most readily available household waste that we have. There's very few of us that get newspaper anymore. Like newsprint is another is another yeah. one that's that's good, but who's getting newspapers anymore? So it's that that paper waste has been replaced by Amazon boxes now. So right. you just come to come to my house on a random Tuesday. There's probably plenty of worm food sitting outside my my front door. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. So let's talk about how I activate my urban worm bin. So I bought it, I got it. 
and we'll have a mm -hmm. discount code for people toward the end here. And it comes in the box. It was super easy to set up. It took me all of five minutes. It's like Tinker Toys, <laughs> and I just set it up. Now what do I do? So the first thing that you the first thing that you would do is you want to first make sure that the drawstring on the inner the the inner part of the bag is is closed and that the uh, that the bottom is is fully attached. Uh, that's going to basically uh, close with uh, velcros and buckles, and this is just going to. This is just going to contain everything in, in the beginning. You're going to start with a layer of carbon-rich bedding material. It, it could be it could be the cardboard that we talked about. It could be shredded paper. Uh, coconut core is is a good. I liked I like starting with coconut core because mm -hmm. it's it's already kind of like a very like sort of a loose soily soil like material. Peat moss. There's a there's a product out there you may have heard of called pit moss, which is uh, mm. another kind of peat moss soil alternative made from uh, recycled paper. It's a really oh, interesting wow. product. And and I think that, and, and I, my worms really seem to, it's, it's, I call it one of the least risk bedding materials that you can start with uh, just because it, the, the worms, the, the more processed it is, and the stuff is already processed and kind of fluffy. Uh, the more the worms are actually going to, going to find it to be a good, a good habitat. Uh -huh. uh, so you're going to have a, a six to eight inch layer of this material and you want to add a little bit of food waste. And this is before you ever get worms. What we're trying to do here is we're trying to grow our microbe population, specifically bacteria. We want to grow the bacteria. We want to get that. We want to get those populations blooming because when the worms are eating food waste, they're not really taking a bite out of an apple. What, what has happened is, is that the bacteria have come in and started processing that food and kind of preparing the battlefield a little bit. And the worms come in and they eat the bacteria and the food waste, but they wouldn't just just munch on an apple until it actually starts breaking down. Mm -hmm. So you want, you want that we're talking about an ecosystem and you want that ecosystem of microbes first to start blooming. So it's a, so it is a habitat that the worms are going to want to live in because the worms, if you, if you did something, if you took a Rubbermaid bin from Lowe's and then you put a bunch of shredded paper and worms in it, they are not going to like that because it is a sterile environment. You need to sort mm -hmm. of dirty up your urban worm bag first. So that's why I say, if you can prepare your bedding for two weeks and then order worms and get the worms and put them in, uh, that is the best way to do it. Most people don't want to do that because they're so eager to get started and so eager to let's save the world tomorrow. And I want to take care of my food waste right now. Just be patient. But the thing you want to do is, is you, you want to add that food waste, uh, uh, just, just a, just a cup, literally a cup of this food waste uh, in your urban worm bag and let it sit there and make sure that the moisture is correct. You want about 60 to 70% moisture. So it's not going to be wet, but it's not going to, it's, it's still going to feel moist to the touch and you just mm -hmm. let, you just, you just leave it alone and then you can add worms a week or two later. And how long does it take to get the bed, the worm bin like up and running so that it's processing all your food waste and how much is all your food waste is it going to take? <laughs> Yeah, so that all of your food waste is a is a big question, and of course depends on how big your family is, how much you eat at home, which governs how much you're going to be producing in terms of fruit and vegetable waste. If mm -hmm. you eat out every night, then you're going to be making less, you know, less less food waste. So that is a that's a tough question. What I will tell you in in, in general is, is you want to give it you want to give it a good six weeks to two months because you're going to have a your that that bacteria population is going to continue to grow the worm population 
is going to continue to grow. It's going to take a while after you put the worms in before they get acclimated and happy and begin reproducing. And so once the worms start reproducing, it's going to take, it takes about six, six weeks before you would notice a population increase. So Mm -hmm. the more worms you have, the more food Mm -hmm. waste you can have. So what you're able to, to, uh, what you're able to process in terms of your food waste at month one is should be a lot less than you're able to in month four or five, because you've, you're, you're just growing out the population uh, of the worms in there. So there are some general rules about how much you can feed worms out there. And a couple of them are, are, are wrong. <laughs> so you're going to see online that worms can eat 50 to hundred percent of their weight uh, every day. Uh, that's not, true i would say the number is probably closer to 25 percent, and of mm-hmm. that weight that they're eating is is that sort of boring bedding material and and the food waste uh so you if you're going to use sort of a ratio then i would say use be much more conservative like 10 to 25 percent uh each day but the real thing that I need to say is that you want to let your eyes and your nose tell you if you've Mm. overdone it with the food waste, don't just blindly every day dump in uh, a a pound of uh, a a pound of food waste because you've got four pounds of worms in there. Uh, You, if they, if they don't look like they are uh, uh, eating what you've already put in there, don't feed anymore. (laughs) It's as simple as that. Wait until it looks like they have really gotten in there and started breaking down that material. Uh, and and if your nose tells you that hey things are a little bit funky in here, then th- slow down there too. So that's the thing is is I think a lot of people want to get into it and just get get going right now, and they fall flat on their face and they wonder why do I have these fruit flies? Why do I have this rancid smell coming out of my worm pan? It's it's mm-hmm. because you it's because you weren't patient enough. Got it. Well, I I have fruit flies, but it smells great. So there's other things that have shown up in the worm bin as well. And there are, yes. And th- this is one of those things. Fruit flies are one of those things that they're not desirable. They they do. It's tough not to get them, especially in the beginning, because you put your food waste in there. And if it's not, if it's not being consumed quickly, then it can sort of be breaking down on its own and, and fermenting and being a much more attractive uh, target for mm. fruit flies. The other thing too, is a lot of our food waste that we put on our uh, in our bins, if you leave your food waste out, the fruit flies will often lay their eggs on it before it's ever in your bin in the first place. Uh, so, yes. you know, you know, that, uh, that, that, what movie is it where they say the call is coming from inside the house, you know, it's like the fruit flies were already inside your house. You know, it it wasn't, it it started, it's that, that problem as it were started before you ever put the, the, the food waste in the bin. So those are just, those are things to look out for. But, but once you get a handle on handle on the fruit fly issue, uh, you should be, you should be good to go. It's probably the most common indicator that maybe you overfed a little bit or didn't add enough of that bedding as well. But it's the other thing, Greg, that, that I have to stress to people is, and I keep coming back to the word ecosystem, it's tough to have uh, an environment that is attractive for worms, that is moist, that is warm, that you've got organic material breaking down and not have it be attractive for other critters. Right. And the thing is, is, these other critters are also good decomposers. If you think of things like roly polies and you might get uh, um, uh, millipedes 
uh, or other things that are in there, they are just shredding. They're just shredding material. Mites is a very common one, especially in a oh, wetter yes. worm bin. Yep. Uh, but, but mites are in there tearing apart this material, which makes, which, which increases the surface area, which accelerates the decomposition. So these things are not bad in and of themselves. It's just, if you were expecting only worms to be, uh, processing and, and recycling your food waste, then you, you may be disappointed because like I said, it's tough to, it's tough to create an environment like that and have it not be an attractive uh, environment for other, other critters. Yeah. So let's talk about the benefits of worm castings. Essentially, what we're talking about here is worm poop, right? Yes. What yes. makes them so good? Well, the, they are there's there's seemingly almost nothing about soil that they don't seem to improve. So worm castings are a form of organic matter, and organic matter is one of those things that is sorely lacking in our soils now, uh, just due to modern farming techniques. Uh, what organic matter allows soil to do is is hold water. So it's great with water retention. Worm castings should hold, I want to say, between three and five times their own weight in in water. Wow. So and and the, here's a here's a statistic that would blow your mind uh, is that every one percent increase in organic matter that soil has is a twenty. It allows it to hold twenty five thousand gallons more of water per acre. So wow, it's just an incredible difference that a lot of uh, organic matter can make mm -hmm. uh, in in soil. Um, that's one benefit. Now, granted, you're not going to take your home worm castings and 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 really move the needle with with our you know agricultural space, but you can you can make it make diff make a difference in your uh, in your garden. So there's there's the there's the water retention. It helps to uh, aggregate soil particles. And that's just in the soil. What it does for your plants is it can help increase root growth. It will speed up uh, germination. It will make the uh, germinating seed uh, more resistant to things like pythium and damping off diseases. Uh, it it hardens the defenses of the plant for, from those pathogens or from pests. Uh, it helps plants get pollinated more uh, efficiently and effectively, which this was something that kind of blew my mind wow. is that bees, bees will, uh, bees will visit plants that are grown in, in soil that's been treated with vermicompost. Uh, they will, they will discover the plant more quickly. They will stay longer and they will visit more frequently. And there's, there's data out there <laughs> wow. on that. So it's just fascinating how, how, how many things that this touches, but yeah, the, the root growth, the yield, the plant health, it's just seems to, uh, seems to help with everything. And the thing is that the magic of worm castings is really what the microbes are doing. It's not just the worm poop itself and how it improves the physical properties of soil. It's, it's what it does for the life in the soil. So soil that is treated with, that has worm castings, which has a, have those bacteria that that can help cycle the nitrogen, can help turn that organic nitrogen that cannot be used by plants, helps turn that nitrogen into uh, ammonium and nitrates, which can be used by plants. Mm -hmm. So you don't need as much uh, synthetic fertilizer, which just bombs your soil and bombs your plants with, with nitrogen in the hopes that the plant will only uptake a little bit of it. It can take that, that little bit of nitrogen that's in the soil and, and help the plant feed itself with it. So I, I don't want to call worm castings magic, but I've not seen, I've not seen uh, academic 
data that shows that worm castings have a real negative effect on anything except when used beyond a certain percentage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a little bit of a good thing is a good thing. More isn't necessarily a good thing. So the, the, with worm castings, you typically don't want your growing media to be more than about 20% worm castings, 10%. Most of the benefit is captured within the first 10%. So, uh, anything beyond 20% can actually start producing some negative, uh, negative effects. But the, the good thing is just a little bit of worm castings in your soil can go a long way towards the, the benefits for the soil and the plant. Amen to that, man. We call it gardener's mm -hmm. gold. <laughs> there you go. So, so let's talk about composting worms because this isn't the worm that you buy at the, at the fishing store to go fishing with and not the kind that you dig out of your garden. Correct. Correct. This is a, this is a really, really common misconception. Uh, some people that have bought red wigglers from a bait store are not really getting the real red wigglers. Red wigglers is the, 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 the nerd name. The binomial name is Isenia fetida, uh, which is a, which is the most common composting worm here in, in North America. Uh, the kind of worms that you might find in your soil <clears throat> are not going to be good composting worms. There are about 7,000 to 9,000 worm species in the world that we know of. Is that all? Only, oh, yeah. <laughs> only, wow. only, only five to seven of them. And I don't mean five to 7,000. I mean, five to seven of them are any good at, at worm composting. And these worms are all in what's called the epigeic category of worms. So there are three categories of worms. There's epigeic, endogeic, and anisic. Endogeic is, uh, let me just start with anisics, uh, since it's probably the one that people are most uh, familiar with. Anisic would be those big Canadian night crawlers or those big night crawlers that you pull out of the ground. Those are vertical burrowers. They will burrow six to nine feet below the ground. Wow. Uh, vertically, they're very muscular. They're very dark colored. Uh, they, they can, they've just got the muscles to get down and do that aeration of the soil. So when you dig down and you see those, those worm, those worm tunnels, those were anisic worms that were doing that. Those are not composting worms. There are worms that are much more in the top couple inches of the topsoil. These are horizontal burrowers. These are endogeic, which is Greek for in the soil. And these are going to be more pale in color, a little less muscular than the anisic worms. Uh, and they're a little less common. I feel like to find for some reason, like, I feel like when I, when I dig into ground, I'm seeing much more anisic worms than I am endogeic, but the composting worms are epigeic, which is Greek for on the earth. And by on the earth, these are not in topsoil. These are, these are above the soil, um, but below layers of detritus or, uh, if you think of, if you think of the loose coating of leaves on the forest floor, Epigeic worms are going to be under those or just below the surface, but above the soil, the soil layer. And all composting worms are epigeic worms. What this means for our home gardener who also wants to be a composter is that you shouldn't be taking the worms that you find in your garden and using them in your worm bin. They're just not going to operate the same way. They're not going to like being in the same densities uh, uh, with in, in proximity to one another. They need more personal space, uh, as it were. Uh, the other thing too, is that you do not then want to take uh, composting worms and throw them in your garden and expect them to aerate your soil the same way that anisic worms might. Mm. And the other thing too, this is, this is really the, the, the thing people need to know that if your soil is lacking in worms, the worms are a symptom of something else that's going on. It's typically that your, your soil does not have enough organic matter. 
if if you're if you're using a raised bed that is otherwise in contact with the ground around it, or you are just gardening in your own soil, if you want to increase the amount of worms in your soil, add organic matter in the form of compost or manure. Uh, something cheaper than that, uh, because I, I, there's something cheaper, even cheaper than vermicompost. It doesn't need to be vermicompost. It needs to be an organic matter that is going to be attractive to worms. So it's like, if you if you build if you build your soil, they will come. Uh, so don't uh, don't spend your money on composting worms to put in your garden. Well, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard from people because I've been teaching this stuff for 30 years. They added organic matter and added organic matter, and within you know, six to six weeks to three months, there were worms there just magically. Yeah. They just show yeah. up like they're coming out of the air. Right. <laughs> don't ask me how they got there because, because otherwise uh, the soil in my yard, I don't have the best yard when it comes to organic matter. But when I, I, I had two raised beds and I treated my one raised bed with uh, the worm castings that I had uh, in the fall. And mm -hmm. it was amazing the difference that I, that I could tell just by touching the soil and, and digging a shovel into it, it was much less compacted, a lot more worms in the spring. Yeah. Again, where they came from, I don't know. I don't care, <laughs> but I just put organic matter in one and not in the other. Yeah. And it was, uh, the difference was, was pretty stark. Wow. Tell me about your worm bins. Uh, there's two versions of the urban worm bag that, that are out there. They are virtually identical in form and function. It's just that one is made in China from uh, virgin materials. And the other one, which I'm really excited about, uh, is the urban worm bag Eco, which is made in Mexico from recycled materials. So each urban worm bag Eco is made from about uh, 80 recycled wow. plastic bottles. The fabric is, is, is accounts for 80, 80 single-use recycled uh, bottles. So... So where do we find the urban worm bags at? Uh, the easiest place would be just my website, urbanwormcompany.com. And we've got urban worm bags. We've got uh, bedding material, accessories, uh, uh, and we can, we've got links for you to buy worms from our, uh, from our worm supplier as well. Nice. So, I wondered about yeah. that. Cool. And um, we're offering listeners of Urban Farm Podcast a discount code. Correct. Uh, Urban Farm, it will be your discount code. And uh, if you just go to urbanwormcompany.com forward slash urban farm, that will uh, take you to the Urban Worm Company and you can check out with that discount code for 10% uh, for off. Wow. Great information so far today. Thank you so much for that. You got it. And I want to shift. I want to get to our questions because th these are my fun questions here. And <laughs> I'd like to know about a time you failed how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it. So to keep it on the, uh, the urban worm bag theme, uh, I would say that version one of my urban worm bag was a failure. Uh, it, there was a design flaw that was really kind of my fault in, in that I was really so motivated to bring it to market quickly that I didn't do enough testing with it. And I also assumed that my customers would be using it absolutely perfectly. And I didn't allow for enough margin for error. And what, what happened was the first urban worm bag had a zipper on the bottom and the compost was in direct contact with that zipper. And if the compost was too wet or too acidic, it just created so much corrosion. You know, I had, I had marine grade nylon zippers on the bottom and I thought that that would handle it, but it just didn't handle it. You know, you have something that's, that's heavy and got a lot of moisture 
and you know that 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 stuff that just sort of started leaching through it because people were creating leachate. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it just corroded the zipper, and I just said, I got to fix this. And so I had version two made of the Urban Worm bag, which still had a zipper on the bottom, but there was an interior liner uh, that um, protected that that protected the. Uh, the the zipper from direct contact with the compost it didn't really protect it from direct contact with moisture though and moisture itself became it so even version two uh started to give me problems then what i did and i just kept moving and this is just sort of like you know you just i couldn't stop at that point i was in too deep i had to fix this problem as mm-hmm. i then created a version of the urban worm bag and I didn't even call it anything different. So the current version twos that you get now do not even have a zipper at all. I said, let's do away with the zipper altogether. We want to, I want a fully detachable bottom that is connected with uh, Velcro and buckles and that somebody is always going to be able to open. And I've not had any issues with that. So that is how I kind of overcame really the biggest obstacle for urban worm, which was a design flaw of my own making. And, uh, you know, you have to solve these things with money sometimes, Exactly. Um, but, but it, it was worth it. It was the right thing to do for customers. And I've been able to, I've replaced hundreds, if not more than hundreds of people's urban worm bags for them, if they, if they had issues uh, wow. like that. So uh, well, anyway, that's it's, part it's of, sort of good to get that past me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's part of being an entrepreneur and figuring this out. You just, you know, you keep, you go and yes. and work on a project and see how it works and if you have to make adjustments along the way you make adjustments along the way if i that's a, that's a key point because if i had tried to make the perfect uh the perfect product i may have never i may have never launched it and i could have taken all that time in the world and i still would have you still have to feel the product sometimes you still have to put something out there to understand how people are truly using it Yep. And then adapt it to them, not adapt it to how you want them to use it, but adapt it to how they are they are going to use it. Amen to that. Exactly. Well, good for you. And what do you consider your biggest success? Wow, my biggest my biggest success. I'm gonna my biggest success, I think, is that as this this company started as a as a side hustle, and it's somewhere in between a side hustle and an actual job job. But the one thing I'm most proud of is that is that we've stayed a small company in terms of how we deal with how I how I deal with customers and how I deal with with readers and people that get in touch with me. I'm very proud of being very customer service oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fly for Southwest Airlines. We kind of have a, a a mantra that we're a customer service company that also flies airplanes. I I sort of stole a little bit of that that ethos nice. and and applied it to Urban Worm Company where. Look, you don't need to be an urban worm bag customer in order to get uh, to read all of my content or even to have me answer your emails about permacomposting. I'm going to treat everybody the same, whether they've given me a dollar or not. And just like I mentioned with what I was able to do with replacing uh, product for people at significant cost, it's important for me to do that if I'm going to maintain that authenticity as a customer service first business. So regardless of what the urban worm company becomes in the future, as long as I have anything to do with it, I am going to keep it uh, a place that people are going to get surprisingly good, even shocking customer service. I have people that 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 compliment me on that, and that's the one thing that keeps the the, the fire the fire burning. So that's probably the thing I'm I'm the most proud of, and what I consider the biggest success. Nice, awesome! Congratulations on that, man. <laughs> that's really important. 
And what drives you? Ooh, what drives me is a constant fear of being on my deathbed and wishing that things had been different. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and in in the entre- in the entrepreneurial context, it often means that I didn't spend more time doing something or that I didn't launch this product or that I didn't make as much out of this company or out of myself professionally as I can. What what that thing I'm afraid of is changes over time. Uh, right now, I'm watching my kids grow up in front of me and and my, I already have a job with with my my day job that already takes me away from home. And then a lot of times when I'm home, I'm spending a lot of time doing this. The thing I'm now driven by is is running my business more efficiently so I can spend more time with them. Uh, they are both old enough that they don't ask me to play with them anymore. And that makes me sad. Now they may say, mm. will you do this with me? But sometimes they just want daddy to play. And I feel like I've said no too many times. And so that, that makes me sad. And so that, that thing that I'm always worried about, like being on my deathbed and wishing things were different, that whatever that thing is sort of changes over time. And so that's the one thing I look at and go, okay, you know, as I get older, priorities change, but don't, don't miss an opportunity that you'll never have again. Um, and so that's, that's, gaining more and more prominence with me. A few years ago, I might've said, well, I'm, I spent enough time. The mom's taking, you know, my wife's taking care of the, taking care of the family, but, but I, I'm now learning that I, I may be missing some things that I did, that I didn't have to. So it's not just about, you know, what drives me professionally, but, but the thing that's driving me personally, but it also helps my business because like I said, I don't want to waste time doing silly things that I don't need to be doing in my business. If I could be spending more quality time with my family. Yeah. As I've aged, I'm 61 now, and as I've aged over the past 15 years, my my dad transitioned about 10 years ago, and my mom transitioned just a little over a year ago. And after my dad passed away, for me, I was put into a place where I had some regrets there, mm-hmm. things I could have done, should have done, would have done, who knows what all that was in my head. So with my mom and with my life, I transitioned to, I'm going to live my life without regrets. Mm-hmm. I want to get to that last <laughs> breath of my life and say, you know what? I am good. I don't have any regrets. And that sounds like where you're going. Yeah. That's, that would be a nice way to, nice way to go out. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I have to admit that I don't read too many books anymore. I tend to read some, maybe some more entrepreneurial books. And yep. some of the ones I've read recently have been like traction or um, measure what matters. Those are two that, that kind of a, have have affected me in a business sense, but personally, a book that I love, I've read twice, and I will read it probably a third time here soon, is East of Eden by John Steinbeck. It's a novel. Oh. Um, it is. It, it's. A, I read it when I was young, and it was probably the first book that affected me when I was young. It has some. It's interesting because it has a whole lot of biblical parallels, but that mm-hmm. you don't need to be a believer in order mm-hmm. to in order to get something out of it. It deals with issues of, of morality in, in ways. One of the, I am, I am sort of a free will kind of person. I don't believe in, in terms of morality. I believe that morality has to have been, you can't be mandated to be moral. That, that strips all morality out of something. If you're doing something because you have to. Yep. And that was something I took out of a small passage of the, of the book that if, if a thousand people read it, they might not have seized on that thing, but I did. And it, and it had to do with it, it had to do with the things that we do for other people have to be done because we want to do them 
uh, not because we are being forced to do them. It, it makes all the difference in the world. That is a book that I highly recommend. It's a wonderful story. He's an excellent writer. Most people probably read of Mice and Men in, in, in high school or early college. Uh, yeah. East of Eden is a, is a bit of a longer book, uh, but uh, and it's just really an, an kind of in one of those epic length uh, books and just a wonderful novel. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to getting reacquainted with it. Nice. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I would always keep doing things that you are slightly uncomfortable with. Never get comfortable. One of my, one of my mentors in the air force said, if you've ever reached the point where you say I have arrived, Uh, Mm -hmm. then your personal growth stops, your learning stops. Uh, and, and I reached that point a few times in my, in my air force career. And the one thing that the military is really good at is, is continually putting you, especially earlier in your career is putting you in situations that you're not quite ready for. Uh, and, 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 and saying, look, you're going to have to grow into it. And that's where that fun happens. That's where the growth happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and if you just keep yourself doing things that you are good at and comfortable with that growth, that growth stops. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the author, Arthur Brooks. He talked about the the happiness of, of pursuit, that pursuing that, you know, pursuing the, oh. the, that end goal is really what makes you happy. It's not, it's not the destination. It's the journey, which is yep. so like self-healthy kind of, you know, stuff. yeah, it, but it's just, it's that, it's that process of creation. It's not. It's not the big victory at the end that makes you happy. It's those little victories in, in exactly. along the way. So, you know, it's it, it's it's not the happiness you're looking for. It's sort of the, the pursuing the happiness that makes you happy. So that's, and I feel like in order to do that, you have to keep doing things that you have to you have to make yourself slightly slightly uncomfortable. Uh, whether if you want to start a YouTube video, but your or YouTube channel, but you are not comfortable make yourself uncomfortable be okay with it and just and just go for it and you'll be you'll be amazed with, with what you can do love that thank <laughs> you thank you thank you thank you so much for joining us on the show today steve thanks uh, greg this was a lot of fun thanks for having me oh my gosh it's been an absolute blast so a couple more things we need to touch on how can our listeners find you uh, I would love if they're interested in vermicomposting. I love if they came to uh, urbanwormcompany.com, checked out our uh, checked out our blog, checked out all of the content that we have. If they subscribed uh, to our YouTube channel at uh, uh, youtube.com forward slash urbanwormcompany. You can also email me at steve at urbanwormcompany.com. Uh, I will try to get back to you. I get a lot of emails these days. Uh, yes. So I, I, I say this a little bit with some trepidation. But uh, that's probably the quickest way to to get in touch. And I'd love a follow on Instagram too at uh, at Urban Worm Co. Those are those are four four good ways to uh, to learn more. Excellent. And you do a right now in um, twenty twenty two. You're doing a weekly YouTube live event. Yes, uh, every Wednesday at eleven a.m. East Coast time, uh, um, Eastern Standard Time, we do what we call Wiggle Wednesdays, where we cover some sort of uh, topic for anywhere from five to fifteen minutes, typically a short a short topic, um, and it's either going to be me or uh, my soil nerd, uh, as I call him, Troy Hinky. Uh, we'll be doing the Wiggle Wednesdays. And, and so we just do a quick presentation and then we open it up for a kind of an open Q&A and you can watch that. You can watch it via Facebook or uh, YouTube Live. We're having a lot of fun with that and we feel like we can actually deliver a lot of value to 
to, to people that way because people people ask some really common questions which mm-hmm. they're going to ask every week but then every now and then we're going to get a question that we we haven't heard before so it helps us learn too uh, as well exactly and i i can attest to the greatness of your events because i've been to several of them uh, <laughs> i just stumbled across them a while back and it was like "Ooh, what's this and so <laughs> so thank you for that happy to have you and if you want a warm bin go to urbanwormcompany.com forward slash urban farm. And you can use the word urban farm. It's all one word uh, at checkout for, for your 10% off. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash urban worm company. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the urban farm podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.